Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. We are in our final week of a leadership series. And uh, it's, it's something that as a staff and as a team that we've put, been putting an extra emphasis on. See, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says that our role is to equip the saints, that's all of you, look at the person next to you and say, you're a saint. And they may say, no, I'm not. But, you know, just walking it through, it's equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And that takes intentionality. So we have this series going through. And I want to bring an illustration to you this morning. And so I've given it away already. But who can tell me what this is? And it's not a hockey puck. What is this? It's a volleyball. One of my great joys over this, uh, this season as well as last year is uh, I grew up playing volleyball in Canada. Uh, volleyball is not just a, a women's sport. It's men and women's, and I got to play uh, for, uh, for our team in, in junior high and high school, and I loved it. And when my daughter picked it up, uh, I had the opportunity to help coach the team, and I've, I've loved it. I've loved coaching it. I've loved being a part of it. I've loved getting to meet new people. You know, for me, my wife says that, that Dwayne can talk to a post and never underestimate the power of a post when you're talking to it, okay? So when you're walking through it, it's just something I really, really enjoy. And when you're teaching volleyball, you're teaching the fundamentals you teach, you're, you're trying to teach them all the wonderful things because the number one job as a volleyball player is to not let this drop on the ground on your side. Are we in agreement on that, right? When you're playing volleyball, your number one job as a volleyball player is to not let the ball drop on your side. You want to get it on that side of the net. And so you teach fundamentals. You teach them how to serve. I'm not going to serve because I value all of you, okay? But you teach them how to serve. You teach them how to pass. Out on the back, you're like, hey, back here. So it's, as, we, as, as we walk through this, this process, you're teaching them how to serve. You teach them how to pass, how to bump, how to set, how to dive for the ball and do all these things. But do you know what the most difficult thing is to teach beginning volleyball players? It's to be ready. Because you can go through the practices and you can know the stuff and you can know how to pass it. And then when the ball comes over, as coaches of first-year teams, even second-year teams, do you know what we're often shouting? Get ready. Get on your toes. Get your hands out in front. Get ready for the ball. The ball's going to come over the net. Because if, if you watch like the first few games that beginners play, a lot of times if you can serve the ball over the net, you're, you're going to win. Because <laughs> the ball comes over, and what happens? It just drops. Can I do that to you? And that's a point. Let's check your skills. Good skills. You know. So we're walking it through, and they watch it, and then we're like, okay, now the ball's going to come over again. So you've got to be ready, and you've got to go to it. And the ball comes over again, and it drops. And then it goes to the point where they get it, but then it's teaching them to get that second hit, right? Because we can hit it and go, hey, I got it, high five. And you're like, no, the ball's still in play. The ball's still in play. You've got to get the ball and get it over the net. And you try to say that in a way that you don't sound angry, you know. You want to encourage them and not make them cry. So you're walking through all these things, but it's that ready position. And this is what our life in Christ is about. It's a great illustration that our lives need to be lives that live in that position, that position of we are always ready. Because I think sometimes we get surprised. We can read all the stuff. We can know all the stuff. And then the ball comes over the net and we're surprised because we're not ready. We're distracted or we're looking to the person next to us or we're looking up in the ceiling at the birds flying around through the rafters. And the ball comes over and we miss it. Or somebody passes the ball to us and we're not ready. Or we get the ball over the net and we think it's over. 
But how many times are we surprised because the ball comes back over the net? Think about it. As we look at the life of Daniel today in closing out this series, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Daniel. See, Daniel was a life that he lived in this ready position. When we look at this volleyball player, it is a great example. She is ready. She's on her toes. She's got her arms out, and she's looking because she knows that ball is going to come. And my goal today is as we walk through this, that it would show us how to live lives that are in that ready position. So when the ball comes over, we're ready for it. We're looking where we need to look. And we're not surprised by it comes back. Amen. How many of you are ready to be in the ready position that the Lord has for you walking forward? Let's look at this together. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. And, and here's, here's what it says in Daniel chapter 1. It says, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. He said, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking men. I guess that's why he didn't pick me. And he said, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning. They're gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. Very strategic. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchen. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. The first part of chapter 8 says this. It says, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself. Lord, as we look to your word, teach us, Lord. Show us what you would speak to us. As we reflect on what you've done, Lord, let us speak to what you're doing now. Behold, you are doing a new thing. Help us to perceive it. And everybody who wants to perceive that said together, Amen, amen. So as we look at the book of Daniel today, we're going to be focusing on three things. First of all, if, if you've been following us in this leadership series, the first thing we're going to talk about is opposition because every leader faces opposition. How many of you have ever faced opposition in your life, right? If you haven't, you will. See, opposition, it's a reality of it. And then from there, we're going to talk about the importance of character, how character is so important. As we get our lives in that ready position, God is looking at our character to form us. So we're going to talk about character and then, of course, at the end, you've got to talk about the lion's den, right? There's, there have been just too many flannel graphs made in the 80s for that. So we're going to talk about the lion's den and how Daniel's leadership was continually revealed, and the lion's den revealed that. So let's start with, op with first of all, opposition. See, opposition is a fact of life, and especially as leaders, when you're out in front, you are confronting it head on. With everyone that we've talked about, everyone that we've looked at, Caleb faced opposition, Joseph faced opposition, Jonah faced opposition. See, if there was no opposition, there'd be no need for leadership. We could say, everywhere is fine, go wherever you want to go, and it's safe. 
That's something I've never said to my children growing up, right? I gave them leadership. I gave them where they could go, where they were not ready to go, how they were to go, how they were supposed to treat people once they got to where they were supposed to go. See, leadership is important. It's an aspect of what we're doing. And as we look at the book of Daniel, we need to recognize the context or what's happening when this was written. See, this was written about 600 B.C., 600 years before Christ, in what is known as the Babylonian exile, the Babylonian captivity. And as we read, we saw how this king went and besieged. And he began to pull people out. There were actually three series of this that happened. And see, God, he warned the people of Israel this back in Deuteronomy 28. God warned the children of Israel that if they disobeyed him, that curses would come on them. This is Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. And the Lord even said that these curses would include military defeat and deportation. And as it relates to Judah, the southern kingdom, it had been in political and spiritual decline during the reign of King Jehoiakim, who has been described by many commentators as one of the worst kings that they had. So now King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he attacks in 605 B.C. And, and in the scripture that we read this morning, it says that the Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to them. And here was his plan. The plan of King Nebuchadnezzar, it was not just to destroy them physically. He could have gone in and just annihilated them. But his plan going in was not just to destroy them, but he wanted to destroy them culturally. He wanted to go in and remove their religion, remove their faith, remove everything about them. And we need to recognize that as we move forward, how that translates to our day, the day that we are in today, that this is where the battle is. A lot of times we think the battle is in the physical. But the battle is often, it's an internal one that we have, one that is inside of us. We focus on the exterior, but the Lord is looking at the heart. See, we need to recognize that we have a body. We have a body. But we were made a soul. We are a soul. And if you're looking for a great resource on this, one of my favorite authors, Dallas Willard, writes a book, uh, Renovation of the Heart. And he dives deep into this, this whole aspect that we have a body, but one day this body is going to be gone. One day this body is going to be gone, but we were all made a soul, and a soul that lasts forever, and a soul that God wants to be with him. Be with him as we are reunited through Jesus Christ to him. But see, Nebuchadnezzar, he was out to destroy this. He was out to separate this. And his strategy was a deconversion of faith. And we see this in this opening chapter that we just read in Daniel 1 through 7. And this deconversion of faith, we need to recognize that this is the playbook. There's nothing surprising here. See, Satan's playbook from the beginning has been to deconvert us, to separate us from God. And this is, what it, this is the plan. Step one is what? Isolation. The first thing that Nebuchadnezzar did and the first thing that the enemy does is to try to separate us, to try to isolate us. We were not made to be alone. That's why we're here together to encourage one another. Step one is to isolate. Pull, he, he went in and he pulled these four intelligent young men away from their family and away from their country, away from everything. The second thing that he did was indoctrination. He enrolled them in the Babylonian school for three years where he taught them how to speak Babylonian, how to think Babylonian. He taught them the Babylonian religion for three years. And then assimilation. How many uh, Star Trek fans we have out there? You know, remember the Borg, you'll, you'll be assimilated? All right. That's a warm fuzzy for you, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> 
His plan was not just to isolate them and not just to indoctrinate them, but he knew that they also needed to be assimilated. He was changing their habits. He was changing what they ate, what they did, the very physical nature of what they were doing. He was trying to change because it's not enough to think it. He was trying to change how they walked it. And then the last thing that he was doing is he was trying to confuse them. And one of his main things he did in this is he gave them different names. He changed their names. And names are important today, but especially back then in the ancient world, names were very important. They meant something. See, these four Hebrew young men, they had names that said something about them. It meant something to them. And now they were being changed. Their name was being changed to Babylonian names. See, back then your name was your identity. When you told somebody your name, it said something about you because it was very intentional. So the enemy came in. He isolated them. He indoctrinated them. He assimilated them. And then he confused them. And this has been the battle from the beginning of time. But if you're familiar with the life of Daniel, you you know that it didn't work. Why didn't it work? I think because we've seen that happen to friends of ours. Do you have loved ones that as you think about these four things, that you can look at their life, or maybe that was your life, either today or before Christ, where you're like, I've been isolated. I've been indoctrinated. I've been assimilated. And I'm so confused. We need to recognize that's not the Lord's plan. That's the enemy moving in your life. So the question becomes, how did these four Hebrew young men overcome this? Well, one of the key things that we look at that when we look at the life of Daniel is that Daniel had godly character in his life. Daniel had godly character. He had more than an idea who, who God was. He had godly character because as we look at leadership and as we look at living this life for God, I think a lot of times we forget the importance of godly character. Character is important, isn't it? See, character is revealed often when you show up in situations or you send your kids out and you go, I pray that I've spoken to their character. We use that word a lot for what's going on. What's the character of a person? See, we need to be reminded that character is what defines us because we are a soul. See, our soul is the part, this is the part that drives us. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 12, he said what? From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. From the abundance of the heart, it's the mouth that speaks. And here's what Jesus is saying in that. He's saying that that character, what's inside of you, it is formed. And how is this character formed? Character is always being formed. Your character, that internal character from which everything speaks, is continually being formed. It's being formed right now. It's being formed right now. Everything you touch, everything you think about, everything that you, that you allow yourself to look at, how you respond to things that are around you, these are all formational in your character. That's why we have these scriptures from Proverbs in Proverbs 4.23 when it says what? To guard your heart. And one of my favorite verses is in Psalm 119 where it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? See, I have three boys. And I have a daughter. And as I think about my role in raising them, I think about this. How can you keep your way pure? The psalmist goes on to say, by guarding it according to your word. How do you keep your ways pure? By guarding it. It's this guarding language. See, it's not about more rules. If all you do is give rules to somebody, you're going to suffocate them. Have you ever been suffocated by rules? Just try harder, right? You're struggling with something. Just try harder. Just do it better. 
You know, Bob Newhart and several others have this whole comedy skit of like this, this counselor where someone comes in and they have them tell everything and then Bob Newhart meets across the desk and says, here's my advice, just stop it. <laughs> my advice would be just get out at that point. Find someone new because it's not about if I just try harder. See, what Jesus talked about, he talked about taking on the very nature of Christ. He talked about being transformed. Paul talks about this. We see this thread the whole way through where it's this formation of our character inside. We focus on the outside, right? Man looks on the outside, but what does God look at? God looks at the heart. He looks at the inside. That stuff that's formed because when the heart is right, the body comes into obedience to what the Lord is doing inside of us. This is the importance of godly character inside of us. And as we look at the life of Daniel and even with the other three Hebrew boys, we see this other truth that we know to be true, which is that few things reveal my character, our character, like pain. Pain is a revealer. It's in that process of walking through pain that it really reveals what I think. It really reveals what's inside of me. I think this is why when the Bible talks about pain, the Bible compares it to fire. It compares it to like this forging process that a blacksmith does. See, it's this fire that comes in in Isaiah 43. It says, when you go through the fire. And Jesus reminded us that we all go through pain and suffering because we're in a broken world. He said in Matthew 5, he said, he said he gives sunlight to both evil and good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. We are together in this world. None of us are immune to pain. We all walk through this. We all go through pain and suffering. So the, the difference is not whether or not we go through pain. The difference is in how we respond to it. It's in how we respond to it. See, fire, it has a destructive nature to it. I think we've seen the events of that. I'll, I'll never forget when I, was a, when I was a kid, my parents had this cabin and it had caught on fire and it burned it to the ground. And I remember how devastating that was as a kid. So a lot of times when we think about fire, we think about that destructive nature that fire has to it. But we need to recognize that in the hands of a skilled person, that fire can actually be used to remove the impurities and to strengthen the steel that is in it that we see here. See, fire in the hands of God can be used to remove the impurities from my life. And if I allow him, can be used to strengthen it. One of my other favorite authors is Tim Keller. And if you know me, you're like, yeah, Dwayne loves Tim Keller. We know. Okay, he's right there. So uh, in his wonderful book that I've been reading through this week, because it's, it's been a week. It's been a week. And I've been going through the Bible, and I've just been listing out all the miracles and all the faithfulness that Jesus did. And I've also been looking at this wonderful book that I love by Tim Keller. It's just it's walking with God through pain and suffering. And here's what Tim Keller talks about this fire process. He says that used properly, it does not destroy. That things that are put into the furnace properly can be shaped, refined, and purified, and even beautified. He goes on to say that suffering, if faced and endured with faith, it can in the end 
only make us better. It can make us stronger. It can make us more filled with greatness and with joy. And then he goes on and he says, suffering then, it actually can use evil against itself because it can thwart the destructive purposes of evil and bring light and life out of darkness and death. This is what the Lord does. He takes what the enemy meant for harm, what the enemy meant to destroy us, and he uses it in his hands to actually purify us, to beautify us if we walk in with faith. We have the faith of Job that though you slay me, yet I will praise you because I know who you are. That takes a lot of faith, doesn't it? Because you can say, you know, Pastor Wayne, it's fine for you to say that this morning up there with your little volleyball and all, you know, but I'm going through a really tough time right now. And it's difficult. But what I'm telling you, when you walk through the fire, whether you're in it now or whether you will, it is this faith in God of saying, God, I know that you work all things to the good. And it's difficult. This week we witnessed the life change that's happening in Melora. And we're saying praise God for it. But I also stood with a mom that her 25-year-old daughter died. And I cried with them. <laughs> and we prayed for them. Do we understand it all? No. We don't understand it all. But in the middle of it, we held hands together and we said, Lord, we're trusting you. And we know that she has a soul that loves you. And we say, Lord, let your will be done in and through us. It is the walk of faith. If I don't do that, then the enemy will use fire to destroy me. Because what I've learned over time is that God is faithful, he is faithful, he is faithful, he is faithful. Some of my friends, I see them rise up, and some of them I see them enter into glory. And I say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And I say, Lord, what would you speak to me in this? What would you speak to me through this? And this is what he's speaking to me. See, Daniel was walking through this. The other three Hebrew boys, they were walking through this. And what enabled them to walk into the fire for the other three? If you want a great book to read, start looking at Daniel. We don't have time to go into all of that today. But as we walk through it, you see that there were times that they literally walked through the fire. So what enabled them to do this? When you look at the life of Daniel, you'll see a key thing which is called spiritual disciplines. Have you heard of spiritual disciplines before? And that may say, you may say, well, Pastor Wayne, are you really going to get all, all clinical and theological and, and go all professorial on us today trying to teach us something about spiritual disciplines? And I'm going to say yes, because I need it, because we need it. See, we don't just walk by faith, and we don't just walk by emotions. If we only walk by emotions, if we only walk by what I see, that's not faith. God is, is, is strengthening us. He is forming in us, and he's trying to get us ready just like that volleyball player so that we can be in that ready position. And when you look at the life of Daniel, he had spiritual disciplines that spoke to him that kept his life positioned. See, spiritual disciplines is about intentionally positioning your life before the Lord on a daily basis. That's what spiritual disciplines are. My life needs to be continually positioned towards the Lord, spiritually, but also physically. And we do that with a lot of areas of our life, don't we? It's not enough for me to tell my family that I love them. I have to physically be present, loving them, serving them, engaged in what's going on in their life, step by step. That's what we need to do with each other. And it's these spiritual disciplines. And when you look at the life of Daniel, here's what Daniel did. Daniel engaged in fasting. 
He was a man that engaged in fasting. Fasting is just abstaining for the purpose of a greater focus on God. We know that Daniel, he engaged three times a day in worship and prayer. Three times a day. How many times a day? Three times a day. Now, I'm not putting out to you a formula here. I'm just saying, he positioned his life. He fasted. He worshiped and prayed. When we look at Daniel 9-2, we see that he engaged in Bible study. Daniel, he studied the writings of the prophets, especially his contemporary Jeremiah. And in Daniel 9, we see a picture of his life of repentance and confession. Repentance and confession is a part of our spiritual disciplines. Am I the only one that has things they need to repent of? That repentance and that confession is so important. Repenting and confessing to God so that the healing can come in. Repenting and confessing to those around us that we love and that we trust that will walk with us and will help us in this walk. These are so important. And through the life of Daniel, we also see this spiritual discipline of service. See, everything that Daniel did, he did is unto the Lord. How he served his king, he did as unto the Lord, and we're going to see the fruit of that in a minute. But everything that he did, he didn't compartmentalize, and he didn't separate any of it out. He said, my life is to God. Whatever happens, I serve him. And because I serve him, I'm going to faithfully serve you. But if there's ever any conflict, I'm going to shine for God in that. And that's difficult. You think you had it hard at work? Look at Daniel. (laughs) He had a pretty tough work environment, didn't he? But he walked that out. He had these disciplines in place that when things happen, when things start to stir up, there was no question about where he would go. And this brings us to exhibit A of leadership being revealed. And it's the lion's den. Because we got to talk about the lion's den, right? See, when we walk through these struggles, this is when our leadership is revealed. This is when the inner workings of our heart, what's been happening, these challenges, the opposition, the choices that we have, the, the decision that we're going to make, it's often revealed in these lion den types of environments. See, for Daniel, at the time of the, of the lion's den, he was serving now King Darius. See, Daniel served four kings in his time, four kings. And he served them faithfully. This was number three. And it says here in Daniel 5.3 that Daniel here, he continued to prove himself more capable than the other administrators and princes. See, Daniel, he was devoted. And for all these kings, it was proven over and over again from the time that they removed him and they brought him to Babylonia, it was revealed that his faithfulness and how he was excelling beyond his peers because he was sold out to God. But as you know, maybe you've experienced this. Sometimes there's something called jealousy. Have you ever experienced jealousy in your life? Where jealousy turns up. Where you're doing a good job and your boss is praising you. And those around you are saying, what a great job you're doing, right? And sometimes there's some people clapping there and they're going, dear Darla, you make me sick, right? It's just, they're just, it's just like, you know what? I'm clapping, but man, inside there's a jealousy going on. And this is what's happening. This is what's happening to them. The other administrators, it said that they were jealous, but it also says in 5 that they couldn't find anything wrong with the guy. You talk about a Facebook friend. I mean, just, they couldn't find anything wrong with him, except one thing that they could, that they saw that they could perhaps come in and use their advantage, and that was his devotion to God. There was nothing to criticize. So if you know the story, you know that they went in and they cornered the king. 
And they went to the king, and this is my Dwayne Canadian. Well, I shouldn't blame Canada for what I say, but this is my paraphrase of it, right? This is how I see it unfolding, right? These guys, these guys are coming in, they're jealous, and they're going, oh, King Darius, man, you are awesome. We love what you're doing. It's so great. And, uh, you know, we just had a great idea. Like, how can we let people know how awesome you are? What if for 30 days, we just, we set this law where just for 30 days, that people had to only worship and bow to you? Not to, any, not to anyone else, neither a statue, a deity, nothing. But for 30 days, as a kingdom, we're just going to have a 30-day party. We're just going to focus on you. Doesn't sound like a great idea? And know what King Darius said? Yeah, man, I'm in. I'm for it. I'm for it. Let's do it. And he put that decree that for 30 days, not thinking it through, leaders think things through. And if somebody comes to you butting you up, you better kind of back up a little bit and go, hey, what's about to happen here? 30 days, King Darius said yes. For 30 days. Now think about the life of Daniel. At this point, Daniel is over 80 years old. Now, it would have been very easy for Daniel to say, you know what, for 30 days, um, he normally goes up, opens the window, faces Jerusalem three times a day and prays. They knew this. He could have easily said, you know, for 30 days, I can just go to my prayer closet. You know, I can just do it in privacy. I can just, I can kind of back off a little bit. You know, I've been doing, I'm 80 years, over 80 years old now. I've gone to enough prayer services. I've gone to enough stuff. I've heard enough of Dwayne's sermons, okay? So I wasn't alive back then, but. I've done enough. Been there, done that check. So for 30 days, God knows my heart. Do you know what the Bible says Daniel did? He went upstairs. This was his habit. He opened the windows and he prayed. There was a character in him. There was a discipline in him that he knew where his source came from. He knew where his help came from. And he's like, I don't care what you say. Nothing is going to stop me. This is my life source. I am not just this body. This body is not my own. This life is not my own. This soul is not my own. It is dedicated to God. And nothing is going to stop me now. I'm over 80 years old. And he kept going. He kept going. See, this is the walk that we need to have. And see, sometimes we think, well, if I do all the right things, then it's going to be okay. But if you know the story, we know what happened to Daniel. What happened to Daniel? He got thrown in the lion's den. The king had made a law that now he had to abide by. And Daniel went into the lion's den at 80 years old. 80 years old. But we need to recognize in this that the story's not over until it's over. And he walked into that lion's den having a profound effect on the king, on the leader. You know, as I was studying and reading this through these last couple of weeks, I mean, I just saw how Daniel had this profound effect. The Bible says that that night that Daniel spent in the lion's den, do you know who was fasting and praying for him? It was the king. The king who made the rule that said yes, that allowed his advisors to lay out a trap for Daniel. The Bible says that he prayed he prayed and he fasted for, for Daniel. And that morning, the king rushed to the den. Why? Because he loved Daniel. He saw the life of Daniel. And even though he knew this was a trap that was laid out, that was there, he fasted, he prayed that night, and he went to the lions that next morning, and he said, Daniel, did your God, did he save you? Do you know what Daniel said to him? Long live the king. <laughs> I'm alive. My God did come, and he shut the mouths of the lions. 
Here's what he said. He said, my God came and shut the mouth of the lions so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you. Now look at that. He was still faithful to the king that he was serving, but he was ultimately faithful to the God that he served. It would have been very easy for him to start tweeting stuff out against King Darius, right, or, or doing whatever kind of communication they had back then. He could have been bad-mouthing him. He could have been saying, God, take care of that king. But he said, you know what? I'm going to walk. My God has me. Whatever happens, my God has me right now. And I'm going to walk with him. And the king was influenced because of it. And we see later, as we read through this, we see how justice came. What happened to Daniel's accusers? The king punished the accusers, and he threw them in the trap that they had set for, for Daniel. The very trap that those that were out to destroy him now became a trap that they fell in. How many times do we see that? When you walk with the Lord, when you trust the Lord, the trap that has been laid for us, what does the Lord do? He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. When I'm walking with God, my cup is running over. It's this faithfulness of God. It's the faithfulness of God in this. You know, there was um, one of my favorite things to, to, to do is uh, I, I love Seattle summers. And my, one of my favorite things to do is to go backpacking. And I love being able to go to a backpacking site where I can have a fire. You know, there's nothing like gathering around a fire. And if you've noticed this and you've done that, it's often around a fire that the big questions in life come up, don't they? Now, as you first start gathering up, the big question is, did we pack the marshmallows and do we have the things that we need? But often a bigger question comes out. And uh, this, this, this last summer, uh, when I went backpacking with, with, with my boys, there were some big questions that happened as, as we backpacked over on the, the Olympic Peninsula. And here was the question. What would happen if someone totally surrendered their life to God? Has anyone ever done that? One, one of my boys asked me that question. Has anyone ever totally surrendered their life to God? And if it did, what would happen? What would happen? Well, I think as we look at the life of Daniel, we see this. When we look at the life of Daniel, this sold-out life to God. Do you know that Daniel, his influence has been linked to the decree by Cyrus to send the people back to their land? Daniel's influence has been linked to the rebuilding of the wall under, ne under Nehemiah and to reestablishing the nation of Israel. Daniel's influence has also been linked that eventually led the wise men to come to Jesus. The influence of Daniel, when we look at it, we see that he was behind the scenes of the history of the Messiah as well as the Messiah's people. His influence continued to go. It's a life totally surrendered to God. Though there was fire, though there was persecution, though there were some of these big things that he had to walk through, it's a life surrendered. Though they slay me, yet I will praise you. See, my, my word to us as I've been processing this week and uh, walking it out. You know, I preached a few weeks ago about how leadership is like a roller coaster. Right? You're going up and you go down. It's like, yay! And then you're going up. And then, yay! You're going down again. Sometimes when you're, 
when you're riding that roller coaster is not always fun. And you can find yourself riding down, you're saying, God, just let me off this roller coaster. I want to speak to you today and go, as you're riding this life, where are you in the story right now? Are you in a lion's den? And you're trusting that God's going to shut the mouth of the lions around you? Maybe that's where you are. Or maybe you've got a big decision in front of you. Am I going to do what I know God would have me do? Which may involve a risk. Or am I just going to kind of do the status quo and just kind of shuffle along here? I've got a decision to make. Or maybe today you're in a process where you've been in the lion's den. You've seen God do miracles and you're walking out of it. But maybe there's still some processing going on. Where are you today in the story? My encouragement to you is that as we spend this time in prayer, prayer is powerful. When we pray, God moves us and he positions us in alignment with him. That's why we have people that come forward and pray. And I want to invite our prayer team, board members, can, can we just kind of line this place? And just like we talked about spiritual disciplines, that there's something about just walking physically, right? I know this is not our culture, but there's something about physically. That's why I stand and worship. There's times I'm tired and I stand and I just lift my hands. And there's times that I come and I kneel because there's something about bringing my physical into alignment of saying, Lord, move in my life. This may be uncomfortable for you, um, but I want you to know these are wonderful people. That's Jesus calling you right now. <laughs> Let's respond to the word of the Lord. These are wonderful people. Turn to the person next to you. Pray with them, but let's get it out. Let's respond and let's see the hand of God moving to heal and to restore. Amen. Can we do that together? Can we do that together? As the worship team leads, step out, find someone in, in prayer. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to one of these people and, and I'm going to ask that they pray for me. Would you join me? Can we all stand together? Let's take some moments. Bring your hurts, whatever it is. Let's speak it out. Amen. Amen.